Hi, I'm Amber and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today we have a really special guest, Dr. Shannon Pierce, and she is a doctor of chiropractic and an integrative health coach. I stumbled across her on TikTok. I know, yes, TikTok of whatever, but I found myself going, yeah, girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, I got to have her on. She's my kind of girl. So welcome, Shannon. Thank you. I've been getting a lot of people getting on calls with me from TikTok. They're like, it's so weird that I found my doctor on TikTok. I'm like, that's the day and age we're living in now. (laughs) It is what it is. It is kind of crazy, right? But, But seriously, honestly, okay. I tried kind of setting up a platform on TikTok and it's like, nobody want to hear about carnivore on TikTok. They just, but now that Kelly Hogan's on now, everybody wants to hear about carnivore. So now I'm starting to pick up. It's kind of weird how that works, (laughs) but yes, I have found some amazing doctors on TikTok. Yeah. So, I mean, Hey, whatever you got to do, you got to do. Get up with the time that I've learned. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's crazy. Well, Shannon, let's start a little bit with your background. Um, Tell us about your health journey too, because you've had kind of an interesting health journey as well. Big time. I mean, I feel like anyone who does anything that they're really passionate about, usually it's because they've had to walk through, right? The darkness to get where they are. That's my story fully. I mean, I have struggled almost my whole life with some type of health issues. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia when I was eight years old after I had a head injury, I was diagnosed with IBS. I was diagnosed with depression. I was diagnosed with all of these things at a really young age and honestly kind of felt like I battled my whole life for my health. Got to chiropractic school. Actually, I got to be a chiropractor because I got an adjustment and my migraines went away. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So I went to chiropractic school, but still had a lot of chronic fatigue. I was still had psoriasis really bad. I had all these other issues that never really went away truly no matter what I tried, right? I have always eaten well. I've always exercised. I've always taken great supplements. And there was just some things that I could not get rid of. And it was really super frustrating. So even through chiropractic school, struggling with these things, we start a business, we get busy, right? Doing all the things. We start a family. After I had kids, I had a complete health breakdown. And I will talk about some of these things today, right? The hormones, it's the adrenals, it's all the stuff that contributes to this. Plus I had all of these underlying immune system things that were never properly dealt with that after I had my kids, I mean, full on chronic fatigue. I was getting joint pain so bad that I thought I had RA, like all of these really crazy symptoms. And in that journey, I really had to figure out what am I missing, right? Because it wasn't my food necessarily. It wasn't just my exercise necessarily. Those are all huge pieces, but it wasn't just that. So I started diving really deep into the integrative kind of functional testing world. And that's where my eyes were like, holy crap, like this is what we're missing in female healthcare. Like no one's checking this stuff. They're telling you you're fine. They're telling you your labs are normal. They're telling you you're just tired or you're stressed or you're hormonal. Like we're getting these crap answers from doctors, but it's only because they're not finding the right answers. So I found that for me and had a complete transformation in my health. And I knew right there, I love chiropractic. I always love chiropractic. I was like, this is what I have to do. I've got to teach women how to properly take care of their bodies from any age, but really so that they can avoid major health disease and live a life full of joy and happiness. Because no matter how successful you are, no matter how many great things you have, if you feel badly all the time, it is really hard to enjoy your life. And that is something I feel like so many people are missing out on memories and moments because their health is their missing piece. 
absolutely. Health is everything. And that's something I didn't really fully understand. For me, it was always about, oh, how I looked on the outside. Ooh, yep. diets, uh, uh, weight loss. And I never really I thought health that's for old people. <laughs> well, I'm an old people now. And right. Now I understand. It, 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 on you. <laughs> it does it bite you right square in the butt, you know, and then you realize, oh, that's what they meant about health as well. <laughs> Gotcha. And, and it is sad when so many people accept the new normal mm-hmm. because it, it, it's, it's, it's normal to have bloating. It's normal to be gassy. It's normal to have, you know, aches and pains and blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, it may be common. It's not normal. And so I applaud you for doing that. And, and I love how like same with me. Like when my eyes were open, I'm like, I, 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 I gotta get this out there. I, I gotta yes. tell people because they don't know. I didn't know. They don't know. And so I love that. And that is what attracted me to you so much is that you have this, this glow, this passion for wanting to help people because you discovered this amazing thing that is not common knowledge. Yeah. yeah. And it should be that, that is my biggest problem with all of this is like, this should be routine healthcare. And then we should only need to go the other route when we're truly sick. And that's just not the way it goes. <laughs> not at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. So our subject, when I kind of tried to narrow it down, um, menopause, because I have not done a full uh, podcast episode on menopause. So I would love to delve into this little sucker course that has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that <laughs> I'm right in that age. But <laughs> that you, well, it, you don't necessarily want this information for yourself. No, no okay. not that Got I it. need it. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, But I know a lot of my followers do. And so much of what uh, women go through in menopause is you're told eh, it's menopause. <laughs> That's just what you have to deal with. Sorry. You know, and I don't, I don't believe that. I think there's so much more to it. So let's start a little bit with talking about, if you don't mind, the stages of menopause, like peri, um, full-on menopause and post, because there is some differences there. Um, just for the people who don't really understand that there are kind of stages in there. Yeah, there's definitely stages. And the hardest part with menopause, one, we're never actually really taught what menopause is, right? Or what our body really goes through when it hits menopause, even women who have been through and are postmenopausal, I find so much miseducation about what that actually means. It doesn't just mean your cycle stops, right? Other things are happening. So for most women, we start with that kind of perimenopause, which is when your hormone levels will just start to slightly decrease. You might not have any changes in your cycle yet. And there's really more of the changes are starting to happen at the brain level, at the pituitary level. Your signaling is getting a little bit slower. Your brain's not talking to your ovaries and your uterus as effectively as it was before or as efficiently, but you're not really noticing a whole lot of change. But if you're in tune with your body, this will be the time that you will start to notice some of the little things like, oh, weird, that five pounds that I didn't change anything. It just kind of came on or I'm feeling a little bit more fatigued than I normally do. If we're really good about watching that, that's the best time. If you want a really easy transition to menopause, if we can catch it, before you really fully go through it, that's going to be the most effective way to do it. So listening for those little subtle ideas. And typically for most women, that's going to start kind of late forties, early fifties. That's when all of that starts to shift, but that perimenopause is when there really isn't a ton of external things that you can notice cycle-wise and those types of things. When you're fully going through menopause, and this is where women get very confused. This is the down regulation of hormone production. This does not mean your body stops making hormones. 
So many women, I harp on the fact that women need hormone and adrenal mapping tests. I believe every woman needs it in every phase of life. And I will get so many women be like, well, I don't need that. I don't have hormones anymore. I've gone through menopause. Who the heck told you you just no longer make hormones at all? That's not the way the body works. You now make hormones in an appropriate menopausal level, but you will always make hormones. And this is one of the things we'll talk about symptom-wise that you can watch for in just a second. How do you know if you're not making appropriate amounts of menopausal hormone? But your hormones start to downregulate which means that your pituitary hormones are going to start to get higher. This is like true diagnosis of, of am I in menopause? If there's pituitary hormones that we look for are going high and your hormones are going low, that's the first time that you are going into menopause, right? So there's a change in the brain. There's a change in the hormones, but to be in true full-blown menopause, technically you have to have no cycle for two full years which most women, what will happen is they'll be like six months and they'll get one a year. Then they'll get one a little over a year and think, Oh, for sure. This is it. And another one will come up. So technically it has to be two full years, no cycle mm. for you to be post menopause. Right. So that's kind of the different, the difference that you're going to look for there. And then the way you want to protect and support your body will absolutely be different in each phase because different things are changing in each phase. And I think those are the things that women need to be educated on because if you know that you can support if you don't know, you're victim to, oh, these crazy hot flashes, my mood's all over the place, I'm gaining this weight that I can't lose. Those are not normal symptoms of menopause. Those are symptoms of a woman who had an imbalance entering menopause that never got mm -hmm. taken care of. Okay. So are you saying that there is hope? For, for the, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. See, this is what I like to hear. I don't like to hear this. Oh, you just have to accept this, this mess, you know? No, I accept none of that. Right. I fully believe whatever your body is doing right now is your body trying to get your attention. And if we would listen and we would figure out why it's trying to do that, we can correct those imbalances and really not have to express outward symptoms the problem is we just never think like that, right? We have a symptom and we think, oh, that sucks. I should go to the doctor. They don't give you anything for it. And then you just live with it. That's not true. You just didn't figure out why your body was doing that. Yeah. Okay. So tell us some symptoms, like how, what would we notice? You, you kind of mentioned a little bit about the peri, but get into more specific, uh, like as you're going through each stage, you know, you'd mentioned some of this, but I know there was yeah. some that we didn't quite hit on menopause. Okay. So when you're going through menopause, the most common things that women are going to struggle with, I'm going to tell you the actual root cause of these because menopause is not the cause, right? It's whatever the deficiency is that's causing it. So most of what you're going to feel is going to be in that kind of two-year period, right? When you're, when you're starting to and leave perimenopause, go through menopause to get to post. The first thing is hot flashes, right? That's the first kind of symptom that people will feel. There are three main causes of hot flashes. The first one is if your estrogen and your progesterone are not decreasing at the same speed. This is really important because if they go nice and naturally down into menopausal range, you really shouldn't have any crazy hormone fluctuation type symptoms. But what happens, and this is why testing is so important because every woman could look different, is most women, because we're stressed, we're busy, we have abnormal adrenal function to begin with, we enter menopause typically with less progesterone than we had estrogen which means one gets to the menopausal level before the other. And the true cause of hormonal hot flashes is when those hormones are not matching up. 
So if you can figure that out once, first of all, if you can balance them beforehand, that's going to be easier. Or if you're already in the depth of that, yes, let's test, let's figure it out. We can support those a whole lot better and get them to transition at the same time. But the gap, that's really the main cause. The second one is liver function. The liver, you probably know this even through keto stuff, like the liver does so many jobs that nobody gives it credit for, right? It metabolizes our hormones. It absolutely helps your body process out hormones faster that if you have a gunked up liver or it's not working at full speed, now this doesn't even have to mean that you have abnormal liver enzymes, just not working at hundred percent function. You're going to allow hormone to recirculate in the body. And when you're going through menopause, that will absolutely cause those hot flashes. And then stress women and stress. Oh my gosh, the more stressed you are, the more symptoms you're going to have going through menopause. So having a really good daily stress management routine, having a way to process emotions, having a way to release, you know, the stress from your body is going to help that transition so much more than I could ever probably explain to you. Stress for a woman will cause all kinds of craziness. Yeah. Stress. Stress it just comes up with everything. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, the cortisol issue when you're, that is more specific to menopause and, you know, this whole stress relation thing going on? So much of it. I mean, the adrenals and cortisol will impact just about everything, but specific to menopause, a couple of things happen. The first one is you have three areas that you primarily make your hormone from your ovaries and your uterus, your adrenals, and your fat cells. Those are the three main areas. So while you're going in from perimenopause to menopause, by nature, your ovaries and your uterus are going to be making less hormone. They're supposed to. But what's supposed to happen to keep you nice and balanced is now your adrenal glands are supposed to take over and they're supposed to help kind of smooth over this transition. But most women are in one of two places. You're either super stressed and you're on high cortisol or maybe you've been super stressed for too long and now you're in a low cortisol pattern, which means your adrenal glands aren't able to effectively take over that job, right? So the cortisol is going to impact the ability to make the hormones from the adrenal glands. But in menopause, most women will say, I gained this weird weight, usually around the midsection, I don't know why. And here's why. Because if you're not making hormones from your ovaries and your uterus, if you're not making them from your adrenal glands, there's one place left for you to make adequate hormone and that's your fat cells. <laughs> so your body's super smart. Yay. It's brilliant. Your body's so smart. It says, oh, she's really stressed out and she's not stopping that. Her ovaries and uterus are slowing down. So that's not really a good option. What should I do? Oh, I know I'm going to make all of these really helpful fat cells so that I can keep her balanced so that she doesn't fully crash. And it puts on weight. And this is going to be the weight that's going to be stubborn that you feel like the nutrition plan I used to follow didn't get that off this time. Or I used to be able to do this exercise program and it would go away. When those things stop working for you or not working as well as they used to, you know, there's an internal imbalance and your body's doing that to protect you. And adrenals and cortisol are almost always the reason why that's happening. That is amazing to me. You know, my reaction is, God, the body is cool. And then my other reaction is crap. <laughs> you know, because yep. that is not what we want to hear. And uh, quite frankly, that's kind of what's happened to me because I've changed nothing. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's changed is I am a lot more stressed yeah. and my cortisol is high. I've tested four times. It's high. Yeah. So yep. yeah. And it's yeah. like right around the middle and it's like, yeah. gosh, dang it. 
But that's the other. So even not menopause related, the reason why cortisol being high and stress will cause more weight gain is because cortisol is dangerous, right? And mm. if you have too much cortisol, you too can much, have a heart yeah. attack, you can have a stroke. So again, your body is truly very smart. It says, well, she's not going to stop stressing. So I've got to protect her. What am I going to do? And it soaks up that cortisol into fat cells as little jails to protect you. And you don't like it, but your body did exactly what it needed to do. So if you want to avoid that situation, what do you do? Mm. <laughs> Work on your sin, which is not just, I mean, I'm all about, I meditate, I do all the things, but sometimes you need to rely on some other things. I have a lot of different homeopathics and herbs that when I know I'm stressed, I know I need extra protection for my body. I know I have to double down on my stress management. I know I have to make sure I'm getting outside in nature. I love grounding, like letting your mm-hmm. energies back into the earth. Like you've got to have multiple of those things because mm-hmm. the stress is going to come. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Especially right now. (laughs) Oh, you know, it's just everywhere. I can't get away from it. Okay. What are some, um, I'm not saying to recommend it or anything, but just in general, what are some of the herbs and supplements that you, you tend to use? I'm just curious. I mean, this, this is not specific for cortisol. Yes. Stress, cortisol, those kind of things. So anything that's going to be common, you got to be really careful if you don't know your pattern, right? So where you know you have high cortisol, it's going to be easier to recommend. If you're just going off symptoms, you truly don't really know. Some people have very high cortisol Mm. symptoms and you're in adrenal fatigue. Be very careful starting any type of adrenal Mm. tonic or blend if you don't know what your adrenals look like, because you can cause a lot of damage there. So Mm. if you're not sure, the safest thing you can use is adaptogens, which means it doesn't force your body one way or the other. It just kind of supports Mm. across the board. So really wonderful adaptogens are things like ashwagandha. Reishi is a really simple, mostly safe adaptogen across the board. Rhodiola is another one that's very adaptogenic. So those three would be pretty safe, regardless of what your pattern looks like. Okay. And then I have my favorite stress management herb. It is called California poppy. Have you ever heard of that? No. Okay. This is like my jam. California poppy everywhere. It's in my office. It's in my kitchen. It's in my car. Like I don't get caught without it because I, when I feel my cortisol rising, I know for me and the better you get to know your body, you'll figure out your triggers. Right. So I know when I get stressed, I will reactivate an immune issue like immediate. Right. I just know it. So I don't let myself get there anymore. So California poppy is this beautiful, like calming herb that doesn't have any interactions necessarily with any certain levels of things. So you can take it pretty safely, regardless of knowing what your levels look like, but it helps to calm not only your nervous system, but your physical body. So if you feel like when you get stressed, you get that tightness, or you get that like pain in your stomach, or you can start feeling the heart rate elevation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Poppy is just so calming and you can't really overdo it. So on a really stressful mm. day, I might take it five times. <laughs> on a great day, I don't take it at all, but it's my, it's like in my arsenal, right? So I meditate, I do my EFT tapping, I do my grounding. I know what my adrenals look like, but I do not get caught without a full bottle of California poppy. Cause when you need it, you want it to be there. <laughs> you need it. You okay. Need it. That's, that's fascinating. I have not heard that. I, I, I was actually Favorite. taking the ashwagandha, however you say that word. And, um, I didn't notice a difference, I, but I mean, I'm not sure I would. So the adaptogens by nature, if you know you have high cortisol, that probably wouldn't be my pick for you because they're gentle. That, that's why they're safe, oh, right? Okay. Gotcha. So if you know you have truly high cortisol, you're going to have to go with a cortisol suppressant to get yeah. movement in the right direction. So you're going to want some heavy hitters versus if somebody, I wouldn't use one of those if someone was in adrenal fatigue. So that's probably why you didn't notice a ton with that one. It's just more of a kind of a buffer. <laughs> 
doesn't really squash that cortisol down. Interesting. Okay. So you talk about adrenal pattern. What exactly does that mean? If you are a woman in nearing perimenopause, in menopause or postmenopause, you have got to know your adrenal pattern, especially if you have any history of thyroid issues. This is imperative. So when you go and get a blood draw, most people they're like, oh, they checked my adrenals and I got my blood draw and I looked at my cortisol. You get a one point snapshot of what your cortisol looks like in that exact second mm-hmm. that they drew mm-hmm. your blood. And most people are kind of nervous. You're getting a blood draw. You're a little bit you know, stressed about that anyways. So it's not going to be the most accurate way to see. So when we map your hormones and adrenals, the best way to do it is over a longer period of time, Mm. at least 24 hours, and you get multiple points of information because your adrenals are made for you to have a little bit of cortisol to wake you up in the morning. We're supposed to have a nice spike of cortisol midday. That's healthy and normal. And then we're supposed to have a nice gentle Mm. decrease to the evening where we can calm down and be ready for sleep. And then it starts to pick back up around three, four in the morning, which if you are somebody who has sleeping issues and you're always waking up at three, four in the morning, start thinking adrenals, what's wrong with my cortisol Mm. pattern? Because it's supposed to start turning on gently at that point. If you're getting jolted awake, maybe you're having too much stimulation, right? And it's supposed to re-go through that pattern. So what if you did a 9am blood draw and you were actually in perfect normal alignment but you get a 2 p.m. crash and you can't keep your eyes open, but that's not when they tested you. You get your labs back and they say you're normal. You're like, well, that's weird because I feel so bad, but they missed your entire time when you have Mm. adrenal dysfunction because it just wasn't at the right time. So mapping is super important. I'm a really big fan. Saliva is good for cortisol mapping. I prefer urine because there's just a couple of metabolites that you don't get until the final process through the urine that really helps us make better decisions on how to support Mm. your adrenals based on, are you making too much inflammation in there at the same time? What's going on with your cortisol once it's been processed? Like there's a lot of different things you can see if you do it through urine. So that's my preference. So the, the urine one, you would do this throughout the day. You would take urine samples through the day. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I did the saliva one throughout the day, but I've done the urine ones, but it was just the morning. Yes. So yeah, I've kind of done like all of it. I know. (laughs) Except for not the urine all day long. There's some, I like, it's called the Dutch chest. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. I talk about it a lot just because I love it. The Dutch chest for me is, and I I don't work for them. I don't have any, I just really love this test. It is the best snapshot for a woman of, okay, what is going on? Like, I know something's wrong. I don't feel right. Like, how do I figure it out from here? Because it looks at all of your hormone levels, but it looks at your hormone pathways, how you metabolize hormone. It looks at your methylation, which we've ever heard like MTHFR, genetic stuff. Methylation is becoming very popular right now. So it looks at your methylation pathways. It fully maps your adrenals, both for cortisol, but also for inflammation, which is called cortisone. We get neurotransmitters, we get some vitamin deficiencies. I mean, it is just like, if you're not sure what's going on and you just want a really good idea where to start, that is by far my favorite test. Mm. And if I was changing healthcare, which is my plan, right? A girl, when she starts her period, should that should be routine. She should do a Dutch test. When she wants to get pregnant, she should do a Dutch test. Post having kids, mm. there should be a Dutch test. Before menopause, you should recheck your hormones. Like we should be watching these things. That would be how we would fix all this menopause crap. Mm, nice. I was going to ask you about the Dutch test. I didn't know that that was necessarily related to that. That that's interesting. Is this an expensive test? And is this something you have to go through a doctor for? 
You do. I believe you can order it on the Dutch website as well, but they probably a little bit more expensive. Um, they're home kits. So they're super easy. We send them all over the country. I actually work fully virtually. Now we sold our brick and mortar. We do everything virtually. We see thousands of people across the country. So it's a urine sample, but it's a kit you get sent right to your house. You complete it, you dry it out, you put it in the mail, you send it off. We get the results and review it with you. Depending on how many markers we pull, I mean, it's three to $500, but for the amount of information you get, I really think that's super reasonable. Yeah. Especially if you're talking just, you know, what, four times during your life or so. Well, yeah, I guess, depending yeah. on how many kids you have, <laughs> you know, that, that's yeah. I mean, when things are reasonable. off, I'll do mine sometimes more regularly and sometimes wait a little bit longer, but it's, it's worth it. It is the most information you're going to get about your hormones. Hmm, interesting. I may have to think about that one because, you know, like I said, I, I've tested out various kits because I get some sent to me. And so that's why I've done it so many times in so many different ways. And every time it comes back high. So I don't care when I was taking it, which, you know, form it was. I'm like, oh, really? So here's my question to that, because this is what I love to do. Why? does it keep coming back high? Cause it's not just environmental stress, right? That's going to be a piece of it, but what hasn't been corrected at a physiological yeah. level that is still allowing that pattern to run? Yeah. That would be interesting to know. I don't know. Okay. I know. Yeah. Have to figure that yeah. One out. yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that would be, mm-hmm. yeah. Because right? I mean, honestly, I have changed nothing. I eat the same as I have for the past over two and a half years. I eat a meat-based diet. Um, I haven't changed anything. My activity is the same. I mean, the external situation is the only thing that's really changed. So I do not know. And I have no doubt that that's contributing, right? It's going to be, but usually that stress, the reason it causes so much is because that stress is going to flare whatever patterns you already have weak in your body, right? So that stress has created a new hormone imbalance or flared up. Maybe you have some chronic bacterial infections, overgrowth, something else that's going Mm -hmm. to get flared in times of stress. So that's where it gets really cool, where you can maintain your health so much better is when you know your patterns. I know mine to a T. So I know when I'm busy, when I'm stressed, when my hormones are fluctuating, like pregnancies or any of those types of things, I know I have to go back and support these couple of things because I don't want a major flare. I don't want the chronic fatigue. I don't want to put on the 10 pounds, but I know those things about myself. And I think that power to, uh, to really govern your own healthcare is so cool. Once you figure that stuff out. Oh, I agree. And do you, as, as doing what you do, do you look at like your typical CBC test with differentials? And is that how you kind of look and see, oh, this is high, this particular whatever um, in the differentials and this bacterial infection, or this is a viral. And do you do that too? Yeah, I I absolutely do. Um, I think those tests are so, if that's all you're looking at, you're missing so much information, Mm -hmm. right? So for me, by the time something is off on a CBC, CMP, your triglycerides are off, your cholesterol is off, your A1C is off. By the time your inflammatory markers are high, something has been going on long enough that those are pretty major markers by the time they start to shift, right? So if we're already seeing stuff on those labs, oh my gosh, we probably have five layers of things that have led you to that, right? Same going, let's say we just sit down and look at your, so let's say a general practitioner, you're going to get your CMP, you're going to get your CBC with diff, you're going to get your lipid panel, and you're probably going to get a TSH, maybe a T4, right? If I sit down with all those labs, which looks like a lot of information, right? You get your labs back, you're like, oh, there's a lot of stuff on here. There is nothing on any of those markers that could bring me to a conclusion on what caused that. 
it'll start maybe leading down a, a path. Like, okay, it does look a little bit more bacterial. We have some of these certain lymphocytes that are elevated or whatever that might be. Okay. TSH is elevated. Maybe we should start looking at something thyroid wise, but there's no answers on that general lab work. And I really believe that is why so many women suffer because you don't feel right. You know, something's wrong in your body. You're getting these labs and no, you don't have a disease yet. Thank goodness. But you're certainly not healthy. You won't show things on those general labs until it's been a long time. So we're left to kind of just struggle and feel like maybe it is just the stress. Maybe it is in my head. Mm -hmm. Maybe I am crazy. Or we go down the opposite rabbit hole. I've been there like it's cancer. Like it's something like <laughs> you said, right? Like that's the person that pops up when they don't find anything, but your body, you know, when your body's off, you know, better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. So I really believe the lack of in-depth testing specifically for women is why so many of us have these chronic issues. I agree. And I see this and hear this time and time again from people who have struggled. They know something's not right and they keep going. They keep asking for, and some doctors just dismiss it altogether. Oh, well, it's just part of aging or, well, you know, oh, fibromyalgia just kind of covers everything. There you go. Um, You just have to live with it. And that, that is incredibly frustrating. And I've seen so many women and they just, they're, uh, they would almost be relieved to be told they had cancer. Yeah. Right. Give me something. I just want to know something. I say that all the time when I go over labs with somebody and there is something that's like, that's your answer. The first step to healing is validation that there was actually something going on. Like, I think you need that as a human being. It's just like, okay, I get it. That is what's contributing to what's going on. And normally it's more than one thing, right? For most women, because we let it go so long, but that validation and then having something you can physically work on that makes a big difference in the healing process because your brain can conceptualize that, right? It's like, okay, I get it. There it is. We have a goal. Let's work towards it. But the no answer is probably the thing that is like debilitating to women. Cause where do you go from there? What do you do? Yeah. You're left to accept it. Yeah. Just yeah. accept the new normal. Yay. Woo-hoo. Mm-hmm. Learn to live with it. Deal with yeah. it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sad. And like I said, I see that with so many clients I work with and, and so many people I interview same they they've been through that whole you know, mess. And, you know, they, they would have been happy to hear something really negative just so they could go, Oh, I'm not crazy. I knew it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I knew something was wrong. Yeah. Now we can throw a drug at it or whatever it is, because goodness, it's like too much. Okay. What? Okay. You already kind of talked about the causes of hot flashes. Yes. What can you do to help with the hot flashes? Um, I'm guessing some supplementation also stress relief, some of that to kind of help balance, but what are some things that women can do right away before they dig really deep into their hormones and all, you know, like some at home things that can kind of help relieve the symptoms, if you will. Cool. Hot flash wise specifically, if you have not tried this yet, so we're going to kind of give you a little tip for each thing that could be causing it. And then you might get more information on what your typical thing is, right? So if it is more of a liver hormone conversion issue, something really simple, like dandelion tea before bed, if you're getting, especially getting hot flashes through the night, it just helps kind of stimulate a little bit of that liver will help metabolize your hormones through the night. 
I've had women just add that and be like, they're gone. Like that was the thing that my body needed. So liver support in whatever way, shape or form you want it. Dandelion tea is great. Even something as simple as doing like some lemon water, warm lemon water before bed. Mm. Um, I know some people are more sensitive to the citrus. So I don't recommend that one as much because if you have a sensitivity to that, but dandelion tea would be a great thing to try before bed and see if that helps with the hot flashes. I do think you could start with an ashwagandha. I think that's pretty generic across the board, pretty easy to add right away. If it is more of an adrenal issue, again, I don't think it might not take them away, but if you notice a reduction or you notice it helps, then you're going to start thinking, okay, maybe this is more adrenal related for me. Definitely. And then you've got to go women. Seriously. I'm like, I can't stress this enough. Like you've got to go all in on your stress management techniques, like whatever you can do for that. So a few things that I really like that some people have really hard time. You ever heard people like, it's hard for me to sit still, or I can't meditate, or I don't know how to do it. Yes. Right. Perfect. I'm, I'm learning like really practical tips of things that you can start right away that are highly effective. So one is grounding. If you don't know what that is, it's earthing, right? It's going outside with bare feet on the actual ground, grass specifically, not the concrete, ideally, but it actually starts to pull some of those stress ions out of your body and it releases it back to the ground and it pulls back up some nice neutralizing ones, like really just physically does some work, whether you know what it's doing or not. Right. So if you're the one who can't really sit silent in your own brain, just being outside bare feet on the ground, will do something for your stress levels. I think that one's really easy. I love sound therapy. So before bed, again, if you can't meditate yourself there on YouTube, if you just search binaural beats or sound therapy for stress. What it does is it actually gets your brain waves to calm down, which is really hard for a lot of us to do. So all you have to do is listen to it. And the beats are getting your brain into the Delta or theta waves, the calming waves. So it's not something you have to sit actively and do. So especially if your hot flashes are worse at night, put on some binaural beats, put on some of those frequency sounds before and fall asleep to them. And that could help calm that down as well. And then really simple breath work. I mean, you can do one of those things. You can do some grounding. You can do some breath work. You can listen to some binaural beats. If this is your first kind of intro to stress management, I think those are three super simple, easy places to start. And there are so many, again, YouTube is truly a plethora of information, breathing videos on there. I have a, I'm not sure if I gave you the link to this or not, but I have a thyroid and hormones group on Facebook where I did an entire five-day stress management challenge. All those videos are logged on there. I have breathwork videos on there. So if you don't know how to do any of that stuff, feel free to go find all of that free content and follow along because it really makes a very big difference. I'll put the, the link below because I, I do have that link. Cool. <clears throat> um, what is your favorite breathwork? Like a favorite pattern or whatever. I, I, I do one every night. I do a specific one because I heard that's like really helps engage the um, vagal nerve. Yes. So there's, I mean, there's so many of them, right? So there's the box breathing. There's like, they're doing the different sides of ones. I have been really liking this probably the newest video in that group that I do. I like to hold it at the top and the bottom and allow the oxygen to get through your body. So I've been doing a lot of in for three, hold for three, out for three, hold for three, because a lot of times, even when people are trying to do breath work, we're rushing it. We're either going in and out or we're holding it. It's trying to feel very tense. So anything that's going to create a rhythm is going to be amazing. I mean, I have done a lot of breath work, so I do like some of the more intense, like Wim Hof. I like the emergency activation breathing, like all that stuff is very interesting to me, but I think getting 
in a rhythm. The whole point is to control your nervous system. That's why Mm -hmm. the breathing works so well, right? And it's about creating these rhythms in your neurons and your nervous system that we get out of when we're stressed, when we're tense, when we're, when your heart rate's elevated. So anything that works to just calm it down is going to be effective. And that's the cool thing with breath work is honestly, you can't do it wrong. Don't feel like you're doing the wrong one. Try a (laughs) bunch and find what fits with you because everyone has different frequencies in their nervous system. One that you really like might feel very odd to somebody else. And then they'll find one that really fits with them. So don't feel bad about trying multiple and stick with the one that you feel like generates the most calming. I do the in for five, hold for seven out for nine. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why I like that. I, it works, but you'll find, yes. And you'll find patterns that you like better for some people. When I have them do the longer ins and longer holds, they get a little bit anxious about it, but I think that has a lot to do with not allowing the expansion into the cells when you have to hold your breath like that. But I would ideally recommend you do want to work up to the longer you can hold the patterns, the more benefit you're going to get for the changes. I've actually, you know, I've always been one of these people because I don't like meditating. I don't like yoga. I don't like any of that kind of stuff. It's like, give me the Zumba. I want my dance. I'm going to do this yeah. thing. And I got to go, 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 go. I can't even focus on TV. I'm, I'm doing other things. I can't even watch a show, you know, and thought of going to a movie now. I'm like, oh, I just can't. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, you know, but since I've been doing the breath work, I've noticed a big difference. And it, it is, you know, I know for some people, it sounds cheesy. I would have said it was cheesy, but it, it I, I feel like it's really helping. And the other thing I started doing too, cause I just saw something probably TikTok. I think it was TikTok is where you do the, the stimulation on your ear, like pressure points to kind of like activate that vagal nerve again. Yeah. It's like it, it, you know, that's the, the, the keyword now is vagal you know, yeah. toning and et cetera, hot, yeah. where you like, like put it in right, like right there and you yeah. kind of like, it, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I've been kind of doing that at night too. And it, I, I don't know if it's just the focusing on that and getting my brain off of whatever else crazy is going on, or if it's actually physically helping me, you know what I mean? But, yeah. um, it, I, I actually feel the tingle in my fingertips. Yes. And, and then I'm like, and then I kind of just start feeling like, okay, now I can close my eyes and go to sleep. I love that feeling. That's how you know. That's what exactly yeah. is, that release. But anything, again, so many people have no stress management practice right now. And that's a big, big issue. Anything that you can start adding in and then you'll get more comfortable with it. And then you'll try something else. I also really like, I've got back to this in the last year for myself, just journaling, like getting things out. Mm-hmm. One of the things mm-hmm. that make us so sick is we hold everything in, right? We, we have nowhere to process the emotions or the conversations or the stress or the whatever. It all just sticks in our nervous system. But sometimes that just brain dump is so releasing and it doesn't even have to be. I mean, I have lots of journals that have journal prompts that you can answer questions if you like that, or sometimes you're just free writing. And the first few times you do it, it might feel awkward. You're like, I don't know, mm-hmm. nothing's coming up. But if you do it over and over, like you're going to start releasing emotions and processing trauma and things that are so important that the act helps people, right? Just being able to write is almost like, well, I'm doing something. It's easier for me to to be able to commit to that, that start with five minutes, just sit down in front of a pen and paper for five minutes a day and see what comes out. That will change your life. That, yeah. And also like, sometimes I think, you know, we're, we're always thinking about, oh, I got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. And sometimes just writing a list of things, you know, some key things that you need to get done. So you don't have, you can put it down and not worry about it. And then as you do it, you check it off and there's something so satisfying about that stupid little 
Yep. It's like, uh-huh. or the oh, that feels good, you know? Yes. And so that kind of, it's there, you know what you have to do. You're not going to forget because my famous last words, oh, I won't forget. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was that thing I was not going to yeah. forget again? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> and so, you know, just writing it down, I think is, is kind of important. And also the gratitude thing. Yes. I would have been one of those that thought that was cheesy, but now that's what I recommend to my clients too, because I think it is important, you know, and even just like with the weight gain, uh, you know, for somebody like in menopause or whatever, if, if you look at it as you presented it, my body is trying to protect me. Okay. All right. I may not like it, but my body's doing what it's meant to be. Okay. What can I do to help my body? Exactly. And so, you know, gratitude, my body's freaking amazing. Yeah. My body's you know? doing something awesome right now. It's yeah. doing exactly what it's supposed to do at exactly the right time and honoring that or being grateful for all the things it has been through, right? If it's been oh, through childbirth, yes. if it's been through puberty, if it's been through I mean, anything, like it's, yes. your body has done a lot of work for a very it really long has. time. Yeah being grateful about that. But honestly, those are simple things that when I really went through my transformation and, and feel like I actually got well, the mindset piece was just as big as the physical piece. It really was. Yes. It was the first time I ever truly addressed, like, no, I do have to slow down sometimes. Like, although I can do it all, I really shouldn't. Like we really shouldn't, even if you physically feel like you can at the moment and being able to do the simple practices. Cause like, I wouldn't have done that stuff either. And now I don't miss it because if I do, I can feel a tremendous difference in my physical body. That's so important to know, right? It's not just your mind and your emotions. That stress is a physical imbalance and it creates pain and it creates weight gain. And you've got to be really careful with the amount of stress and things that you let into your body. Uh, the, uh, so much so. And even like past traumas and, and, and that it manifests into physical symptoms. So if we know that that happens, oh my goodness, what are we doing on a daily basis with stress allowing this? And I've started doing research showing that stored trauma and autoimmune disease is directly related. Most people with autoimmune disease can pinpoint some type of major life change trauma (laughs) preceding an autoimmune diagnosis. Like your body is doing something on purpose. Like this is real stuff, but we're not taught that at all. No, 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 no. We are not. (laughs) No. Um, okay. Let me, let me just make sure we have an, okay, good. Um, there was something that I found interesting that I came across on on something you had talked about, about um, women who have had hysterectomies or ablations. Yeah. And I asked that because I had the Novisure procedure. Um, And quite frankly, I have no clue about my periods for, I I don't know what, 12 years or something. I don't even know. Um, I have no clue because I had had one. So I don't know where I'm at, but you, you said that that affects your hormones. And I guess in my head, I've always had it that uh, ovaries, well, I have my ovaries. I even have my uterus. It's just, it's all burned out, you know? So explain how those two situations can affect things hormone wise. It has to, we're so intricately connected, right? So in a normal cycle, what happens is the messages that you get from your brain through each, through ovulation, through non-fertilization of the egg, through the egg dying off and starting your cycle to the shedding of the uterine lining, which is when we're supposed to be getting more estrogen production during that first half of our cycle. If those things aren't happening physiologically, I've actually had many people say this, but it's a physiological procedure, not a hormonal one. Yes, but you can't expect that not to affect your hormones because no longer does your brain have to signal 
for the uterine lining to shed, for those other things to happen. So just like I talk about all the time about when you're on a medication for something, and I'm not saying that it's not warranted, but let's say you take a thyroid medication for a long time, 10 years. Well, your thyroid has been taught that I don't really have to make my own hormone anymore because I've been given Mm. T4 hormone daily, daily, Mm. daily, daily, daily. So of course it's going to get lazy. It's going to stop making its own hormone, which is why it's a really hard medication to come off of, not necessarily because you couldn't have, but because your body gets to a point where if you give it something artificial or it doesn't have to perform that job, it is going to adapt and it's going to downregulate. Well, the same thing is going to happen with your hormone fluctuations and patterns. If you don't have to ovulate, cycle down, shed uterine lining, and then produce estrogen month after month after month, you are no longer going to have this big stimulations. And I can picture a Dutch chest that looks exactly like that for an ablation. It looks a little bit different for a hysterectomy. Typically that's the woman who gets very low hormones very quickly. If it's not properly supported, you end up with menopausal or even postmenopausal ranges in your thirties and forties, because your body just lost the production part of where the hormones were coming from. So there is no, you can't separate the physical and the hormonal. You can't separate the emotional and the physical, like they're going to affect each other. So yeah, if you've had those procedures done now, it's just extra important to track. Where are your hormones? What do you have to support because of the adaptations that have happened? And once you know that, great, you can still be a perfectly healthy, 100% functional woman, as long as you know what weaknesses you have to support. That, that is so fascinating. But you know, it really does make sense if you think about it. Yeah. It, it does make sense. And I don't know why that never connected for me, but uh, yeah, that, that is very interesting. Okay. So talking about this issue, what hormone replacement, talk a little bit about that, kind of like the, the, the difference between, you know, replacing hormones versus doing something, um, non-evasive or, or, you know, non-medical or whatever you want to say. So I personally am really not a hormone replacement therapy advocate at all across the board. Cause I really feel like there's a lot of other ways you can do it more effectively with less risk. So that for my people that I work with is just never the choice that I choose. Um, and typically I'm helping women maybe transition from that to something safer. So the full, like estrogen therapies, testosterone pellets, those types of things. I'm really not a big fan because you can force a body into a situation for a short amount of time. Eventually there will be something that has to shift to adapt for that. So not a big fan of that, but there are so many things you can do. I'll also get the comment from women like, well, I have a history of breast cancer, so I can't take any hormones. Mm. No, I agree. I don't want you taking hormones, but if we balance pathways, here's the biggest difference between integrative healthcare and truly medical healthcare medical healthcare is looking to change a number. You have low estrogen, I give you estrogen. You have low progesterone, I give you progesterone, right? That's what they do. And then they retest you. And if your labs are better, regardless of how you feel, you're healed, right? They did their job. Holistically, it's about function. So if you are, let's say, progesterone deficient, well, there are some pretty major things that lend to your body using up progesterone too quickly. Some of them being adrenal dysfunction. I see it a lot in people who have chronic infections, Epstein-Barr infections, viral loads. Those are things that will really drain your progesterone a whole lot quicker. So if you deal with the underlying issues, your body will be able to produce hormones more effectively. And then you can use something much more gentle or natural just to give it the little boost that it needs. So I use all kinds of different homeopathics or herbs. So specifically to progesterone, things like chase tree, things like a homeopathic precursor to progesterone, all of those things are very effective and can help build without risk. 
And then with estrogen, what's really important to know is when you map out your hormones, you really do get to see risk factors because if your hormones, especially estrogen are not being properly detoxed, if they're getting stuck at certain pathways, that's how they can build up in the breast tissue, the lymph tissue become dangerous in the uterus for things like endometriosis. A lot of that is tied to these inflammatory estrogens. You get to see that on a really good test. So you also get to know, am I even the woman who is the candidate? to do any type of hormones. And if you have pretty clean pathways, you have a little bit more wiggle room. You might be able to do a bioidentical or a plant-based estrogen just fine. If you're someone who has abnormal pathways and your estrogen's all stuck in your detox pathways, we're probably not even using any herbal things to stimulate estrogen until you clean up the pathways and you remove the risk. So there are some circumstances I think bioidenticals are beautiful. Some women absolutely need that level of support. But if you are a woman, before you put any type of hormone, no matter how natural it is, you better know that it's safe for you. And I think mm. that's my biggest qualm with kind of what's going on right now. There's very popular hormone clinics, right? Everyone, I meet so many women. Well, I did the testosterone. They said it was going to be my sex drive back, or I did this because I said the 20 pounds was going to fall off. And sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But my bigger concern is, wait a minute, did they make sure that that testosterone wasn't going down to estrogen and getting stuck in your breast tissue? Cause they surely didn't test that before they did it. Like you've just got to be so careful before you make those decisions. Mm. And that way you can make proper ones for you. Ooh, yeah, that can be so, Ooh, yeah. I did actually the, um, pellets yeah. and testosterone. Cause that was like, everything else was perfectly fine, but my testosterone was basically non-existent and (laughs) I saw the test results. So I I do believe that, but gosh, dang, those dang things. It hurt putting those in. It hurt. My butt was sore for like two weeks. I had big old bruises and stuff. I'm like, and I eventually just stopped, but it did make me feel better. I will say it did, but And it can, and that's why it's enticing, right? And I think that for most medicine is if someone tells you this is going to make you better, I fully understand why you say, yeah, give it to me. Let's do this thing, right? Like you want it, ultimately you want to be well, but there's just such a lack of investigation before doing some of those things. And that's where the danger and the side effects and the, those types of things come in that could be avoided if we had better testing, right? This is my soapbox. (laughs) Better testing solves most healthcare issues. Test don't guess. That's right. I hear that a lot now. And you know, I I the more I understand this, the more I see, the more I absolutely 100 percent agree with that. You know, sometimes I I would think, God, another test, really? But gosh, I mean, how else? I mean, (laughs) you just guess. The thing is, I did half of my career the other way where we really didn't test. We did lots of nutrition counseling, we did lots of we did adjustments, we did all the things. And then I did my other half relying heavily on testing. And I can tell you it's night and day. I feel so bad. I still to this day think about people who were my patients 10 years ago being like, oh, I wish I could call her back and be like, no, like now I know what's wrong with you. Or like, we need to do this thing because you just miss. So, and that all is valuable, but for the people who really are struggling chronically, you've got to look deeper. Yeah, I agree. And so, so many people have these issues and again, like we were just talking about struggling with, give me answers. I need answers. I don't feel right. Give me answers. What can I do? Because, you know, if you think about it, your body is this amazing thing. And we didn't have doctors and, you know, all these specialists way long time ago. How did, how did anybody ever function? 
shouldn't our bodies have some kind of built-in natural ability to, to heal and regulate? Yeah. yeah, you would think that it knows what it's doing. Yeah. But my thing is, is like, we have all of this advanced technology and we have all these healthcare systems then why on earth are our numbers of cancer and heart disease and autoimmune disease higher than ever before? Those numbers are not getting better. They're getting worse by 10 times the amount that it was 50 years ago. Like that says something right there. Something's not right. We're getting sicker as people, not healthier. Don't you think that means we should probably change the way we're doing things a little bit? Just a little bit. And speaking of that, so we're talking lifestyle changes, right? Yeah. What do you feel is important? Like if you, and I'm not talking, you know, specific uh, diet plan or anything like that, but in general, what are the basics? And you've, you've mentioned some, you know, yeah. like getting outside grounding, stress relief, et cetera. What are some really basic things that we as humans have kind of lost? Yeah. Because of the society just, we live in, you know, yeah, that just food wise, let's just eat real food. If nothing else, if you don't, if it's too complicated to think of specific plans, do all the things like it mainly shouldn't come from a package, a can, a window, what right? Like that's, <laughs> yeah, like that's just not where food was supposed to come from. That if you're super overwhelmed shop, we always say shop the, you know, perimetry, the, you want to be on the outside of the grocery shopping. Don't get all stuff in the middle, get your vegetables, get your meat, get your fruits, get everything on the outside that alone is a really easy start. I mean, just eat real food and it doesn't even necessarily have to be organic. That's ideal. But if it's a budget issue or you're not sure, just stop buying the canned stuff and start buying the real stuff to start and then start making more of those lateral shifts as you can. So real food is huge. Movement and being in the outside, we talked about that already, that's huge. I think stress management is necessity for people, not even an option, it's a necessity. And then really just figuring out for you, what is the next best step you can make as far as finding your answers, right? Not everybody's ready to go all in. Not everybody's ready to do all the testing, but you need to make sure that you are actively working on something that is specific to your health, right? So if you know you have an issue, if it starts with just researching and figuring out and knowing like, okay, I have the triglycerides, right? Let's say your triglycerides are high. Go work on that. Don't just wait for medication. Don't just wait for a doctor to give you something. Do things that you can actively do to start making changes for your health. But I do believe you should always be working on something to move you in the forward direction because there's so many things we're surrounded by, the food, the air, the water, the people, the stuff. We are constantly bombarded with inflammation. You have to daily make decisions to start pushing against that so that that inflammation doesn't become disease. So no matter what, it's gonna be super simple. It can be that extra couple of pounds, like just start making changes and start where you're at. And it's gonna get easier, I promise, but you've gotta do something <laughs> and not paralysis by analysis, right? I get a lot of, well, I read all this stuff and I don't know where to start. Don't worry about doing it perfect. I think that's the best advice is do something and then find someone to coach you through it. There are beautiful podcasts where people teach you <laughs> these things. There are people who know what they're doing. Like find help, find a support system, but not knowing where to start cannot be the answer. You've got to do something. Just start, just start with something. Start. Like you said, one step, just think of one change you can make. Just yep. go in the perimeter of the store. That's a good first start right there. Bam. Go out barefoot. You know, for me, 
I live barefoot. The only time I yeah. put on shoes pretty much is when I like have to leave the house. And usually that's dancing. I put on my boots or I wear these little sparkly shoes if we're like going to eat or something. That That's it. That's that's yep. that's it. I'm barefoot. I like to go yep. outside and sit on my swing and walk outside in the backyard with the dogs, you know? Love yeah. It. I love yes. barefoot. It is fun. Okay. So we are coming up on time. So I want you to give your best advice to someone who is right starting that perimenopausal? What would be the most basic, simple uh, things that they can do to prepare for this? Yeah, you'll get super sick of me saying this because the answer is test your hormones. <laughs> I mean, that, okay, that is that's it. good. Like the first thing you have to do is test. You have to, especially if you're not there yet, you have this time, you have this window, you can fix it, right? If you can set yourself up for success, it's going to go better. So in that moment, when you know you're starting to transition, you're starting to feel maybe some of those warning signs, now's the time to take action. And it can be as simple as figure out where your stressors are, start cleaning up your nutrition plan and start getting your hormones tested. The Dutch test specifically would be ideal because then you're going to have a game plan. Don't wait until your full blown hot flashes and the 20 pounds is on. It's a lot harder to take it from there and go backwards than it is for us to prevent and set you up for success on the way through. Not that it's not doable, can totally do it. It's going to take more efforts, can take more time, it's going to take more money, to be honest, the longer you wait to really fix that. So don't wait, test hormones now, start making the changes. And then the things that we talked about, right? Adrenals, liver, stress, fat cells, start supporting those things right away. You know, those impact menopause, make sure that you're making those simple changes we talked about now. Don't wait till you have the symptoms. Perfect. Love it. I love the preventative. I think that's so important. I think that's what's wrong with our health system. It is not a health system. It's a sick system. So you get treated after you already weigh into it. And then they just chunk medicine at you where even with, you know, A1C, they're like, "Eh, you know, we'll just keep an eye on it. Oh my God. That one, it just blows me away. It's like, oh my God, right then you could do something about it right then. Yep. Right then. It, yeah. Not, oh, let's wait till it, it's already here. And then I'll we'll check again you. next year. And so you want me the whole year before you just check blood again and tell me if I need to do something about the potential of being diabetic. Like, no, make changes. Let's do this thing. Yeah. That's horrifying to me. So preventative care, I think is so incredibly important. And that is just not stressed enough. It's just, it's just not oh, only in the, in the, you know, oh, go get your mammogram, those kind of things. Okay. But anything past that. <laughs> No, we don't focus on that. So yes, so important. So y'all know what to do now. And hey, while y'all are here, subscribe to my channel and then go follow Shannon. Yes. Shannon, thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge and your passion is just radiates. I just adore you. And y'all go check her out on TikTok because she, yeah. she's pretty, she's rocking it. I'm getting better and, on the TikTok stuff. I yeah, like it, but you got it. You got it. You're, you're, well, I appreciate you. I love what you do. I love women helping other people figure out how to live their healthiest life and you're doing it too. So I appreciate you. Get thank the you. message out. Teach people that there are better things you can do. So you keep it up. Absolutely. Thanks, Shannon. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye.